Should we pray together and we'll look at this chapter? Father God, thank you um, for this book of yours. Thank you that it teaches us, encourages us, and instructs us. We pray that um, you would use my words to do that this morning, that you would speak to us from your scripture, that you would encourage us. Please give us, we pray, a resilient faith in you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are not ready as a country. If you caught that in the news um, in the last few days, in the last week, uh, one of our um, senior army generals has said that we are not ready and that we might have to prepare for conscription to the army. Now, the government are, are, are downplaying that, but that's what a senior army official has said in the last week. Generation Z, are you ready to go and fight? With a grenade in your hand, TikTok means something slightly different, doesn't it? Are we ready? It's quite a, a, a frightening thing, it's a scary headline. We hope it would go away, but it's, um, it, it, there it is. And as we come to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is able to say he is ready. So he's in a different situation to us. You might have read of um, American uh, nuclear warheads going to be stored in Suffolk or wherever it is, closer to uh, the action in Russia, Ukraine. I guess that's what the um, I guess that's what the tactic is. But Habakkuk um, has a, has a similar problem, but different. Centuries ago, God has said that the superpower at the time, the Babylonians, are on their way. And the Babylonians in Habakkuk's time are God's way of judging in righteousness and apostate people. But Habakkuk is ready. Look at verse 16. I heard, this is what he hears about, the report of the Babylonians, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, and decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. He's heard the report. The enemy's near. Yet, he's able to say, I will wait patiently, or literally, he'll be at rest. He'll be at rest for the day of distress, of calamity, to come on the nation invading us. So, he is waiting as they come to invade, but he's also waiting for what he's heard in chapter 2, of the calamity that is, that will come, to the wicked nation. But either way, Habakkuk is ready how can he be so ready or, or at rest? If you hear last week, we talked about this idea of journeying through a pain clinic, of, of trying to move us through this idea of how do we deal with suffering and uh, unrighteousness. For Habakkuk, he's dealing with the distress of persecution that God will bring on injustice and that God will bring to an apostate people. How on earth can we get from A to B, as it were? And the whole book of Habakkuk really is getting us not from A to B, but from A to C through B. Because look how this finishes, this book. We, we read it earlier. Yet the fig tree does not bear fruit. There are no grapes on the vine. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How on earth do you get from chapter 1, How long, O Lord? What are you doing? I don't understand it. 
all the way to, I'm going to wait quietly. That's the arc of the book of Habakkuk. And it goes A to C through B, through chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, by that resilient faith. So what about us? Are we ready, in the face of persecution of the righteous, and in the face of the injustice that generally happens from the wicked, are we ready? Well, last week we saw that God has said to Habakkuk, all wickedness will be dealt with in the end. Just wait for it. It will be. It might not look like it, but it will be. Whether the unrighteousness of an apostate people or the wickedness of everybody else, God will deal with it. And so therefore, we end chapter 2 last week, verse 20. If you look down, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Silent. All the earth has got nothing to say about this is the end of God's words. So in Habakkuk, God has said something, and then Habakkuk's gone back with another complaint. But now, the end of chapter 2, this is mic drop moment, that's it. Nothing more to say. You don't have a rebuttal against God. It's similar to Romans chapter 2, if you read Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul has in fact begun his letter with that verse from Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And he's made an argument for the fact that whether you think you're God's people, um, in, in his time, the Jews, or whether you're not, the Gentiles, God's wrath is being revealed against all people for that rejection of him. And no one is innocent. And Paul writes these two chapters, the first two chapters, so that everyone is silenced. No, no one's got anything to, yeah, but, yeah, but, nothing, nothing to bring back to God. God is in the right. And so in the midst of that silence, then, we get chapter 3. There's a psalm. So, let all the earth be silent. So Habakkuk sort of pipes up and says, can I get a quick psalm in? Um, which he does, and it comes here at the end of the book. So there's a, a, a very uh, simple structure to it. So, verse 1 and 2 is a sort of uh, prayer, it's the headline. And then verse 3 to 15, he reflects on God's actions. And then 16 to 19, he responds. But why a psalm? There's no more real direct words from God. These are Habakkuk's words now. He's, he's writing a, a psalm. But chapter 3 says more. It says more than chapter 2, but not really anything different. It says something more because it helps us to truly grasp these, these truths with the whole person, with our affections. That's what poetry does. You see it a lot in the Bible that God puts his theology into poetry. You see that um, in Exodus 14, 15, after Exodus 14, after the rescue, Moses sings. In Judges chapter 4, um, Deborah rescues the people. And in chapter 5, there's a song. We saw it in Samuel with Hannah's song because we grasp with the whole person. Uh, as one um, experimental dancer put it, she said, if I could explain what it means, I wouldn't have to dance it. So this idea that the, the art, the creation, tells you something a little bit more. And this is the case with the poetry here. Head knowledge must become heart knowledge, a right feeling towards God. Um, the, the writer um, Jonathan Edwards knew this in his famous book, The Religious Affections. He writes about the joy in Christ, that though their outward sufferings, the Christians were very grievous, 
Yet their inward spiritual joys were greater than their sufferings. And these supported them and enabled them to suffer with cheerfulness. They grasped the truth of God with their affections, this joy, which leads him to say, a famous quote of his, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. True religion consists in great part in holy affections. So we need to not just know the stuff, we need to feel it properly in our heart, that our whole person would grasp the truth. And what he's saying is it's so our inclination, our will, our whole self is correctly orientated to God. So maybe think of it like this, if you like, as we enter into worship in this song, as Habakkuk does, we enter into a way of knowing, a different mode of knowing. That's why he's elevated it here as a psalm. But what is it we're to know? Well, here's the summary of what it is we're to know. We've been thinking about resilient faith. Resilient faith is fearfully joyful. We've seen that resilient faith is expectantly honest. Resilient faith is patiently steadfast. And in chapter 3, resilient faith is fearfully joyful. And Habakkuk leads the way. Look at verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Revive them, literally. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk longs for what we heard in chapter 2 to be worked out now. God says, yeah, there's going to be justice. And Habakkuk says, okay, I'm nervous of it. I don't understand it. Bring it on. The fearsome work of God. That's what he wants. No, I stand in awe of your deeds. It's the fearsome work of God. Revive it, make it known in our time. Come on, God, bring, bring, it, bring justice now. That's what Habakkuk is saying. It's a hard prayer, isn't it? I stand in awe of your deeds. Literally, that's in fear of your deeds. An awe invoked fear. It's the right fear, the fear of the Lord. The fear that the sailor has of the sea. The sailor's going to spend all his time on the sea, but he rightly should fear the sea. Awesome and powerful. And so here is Habakkuk. Lord, I've heard of your, your fame, and I stand in fear of your works, O Lord, that I've heard of. And so the work of wrath must remember mercy. You can see why that spills out of Habakkuk's prayer in, in verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy, because that's all that we'll have. Mercy um, is based on the fact that everyone must be guilty. Mercy is needed where there is guilt. It's not in wrath, sort of avoid everyone that doesn't need it and, everyone's, and, and the people who are, who are properly righteous of themselves. No. Remember mercy, and it's in God's mercy that he's made the righteous righteous in Habakkuk's day. So let's look at the rest of this chapter. We'll see it in two points. And the first one is, is reliving fearsome rescue. So what Habakkuk's doing in this psalm that he's written, you can see that um, it's, it's arranged at the end there for the director of music on stringed instruments. Um, it's a prayer of Habakkuk. It's got a tune there in verse 1. All the things that you would expect of a psalm, he's written a psalm, and what he's doing is kind of reliving a fearsome rescue. He wasn't there at the time, but he reflects on it and he brings out what it feels like 
to know God's fearsome work. Verse 3. God came from Timar, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. What Habakkuk is talking about is the Exodus. He went back to Deuteronomy um, chapter 33, the first couple of verses there, you'd see the reference that Habakkuk is drawing on when God came. That Exodus, remember the Exodus? That was a fearsome rescue, wasn't it? Ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt, and the last plague being the death of the firstborn, even among the Israelites, had they not had the lamb instead. It's fearsome, but it was rescue, wasn't it? And that's the way it is for God's people. God brings rescue through judgment. That's always the way that God has done it. The ark in the flood. Some of you um, who spend any time with uh, children may, may know this classic, Michael Rosen classic, going on a bear hunt. Do you remember it? Do you know it? If you don't, um, it's a story of family, they're going on a bear hunt, and there's all sorts of things that, that, that are in their way, uh, and, the, and the refrain is, is the same. So, for example, they get to mud, uh-oh, mud, thick, oozy mud. We can't go over it, we can't go under it, oh no, we've got to go through it. That's right, exactly, you're with me. Uh-oh, a forest, a big, dark forest. We can't go over it, we can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. So it is with God's people and judgment. Here comes God's justice. I'll get around it. I'll get over it. The rescue comes through it. And so Habakkuk helps us to grasp this rescue through God's fearsome action in this heightened language. Did you notice it? Verse 4. His splendour was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand. This is kind of Marvel superhero film stuff, isn't it? You can imagine that, rays flashing from your hand. That is the Lord. Plagues unleashed. Imagine a plague, imagine a global pandemic that floored the whole world no one could do anything about it. Imagine that. That's the power that God has that goes before him. Even creation itself is dismantled, verse 6. He shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But God marches on forever. Creation doesn't even get in the way of God. The mountains the sea. Nothing can stop. Verse 11. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spears. Such is the magnificence and the kind of impressive nature of this, of God coming down. The sun and moon stop. So can you hear this, this language that is elevating and helping us to feel this is the Lord. He's coming in justice. Now that might be quite hard to hear. I think it's quite hard to hear. 
it's not a nice thing to, to have to stand up in front of people and talk of God's justice in this way, but here it is. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to skip over the awkward bits. But if we don't understand God's wrath, I wonder if it's because we don't really grasp sin and the depths and the depravity of sin. And if we don't understand and grasp the depths and depravity of sin, maybe it's because we don't understand the depths and the magnitude of the God that we've sinned against. But who does understand the God that we've sinned against perfectly? Well, of course, God does, doesn't he? He understands, so he is in the right place. And this reverent fear is, is appropriate. Think about it. What does injustice and wickedness deserve? We thought in the last two weeks about the wickedness in our world and the injustice, even the apostasy amongst those who are supposed to be called God's people and the unrighteousness there. What does it really deserve? And what will it take to, to, to truly destroy it? Because evil doesn't negotiate. But righteousness doesn't compromise itself either. And so the God of justice is fearsome, yet he is merciful. Because this is for rescue. Look down at verse, at verse 13. So Habakkuk this question, did you rage against the sea in verse 8? Is this against the sea when you rode on horses? What was, this, what was all this about? Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to toe. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. You came to save your anointed one. This is what all this was for. This is not random acts of violence. This is God's justice to rescue a people. And you, do you begin to feel that, to grasp that a little more? This is the, the God that, that Habakkuk knows. This is why he feels it should be um, written down as a song. Now, we don't do this a lot at Rock, so maybe you'll indulge me this once, um, of, of playing accompaniment to reading. But this is a song, so I was thinking, how can we get this into our hearts? How can we just have that sense of elevation? Why has he written a song and not just some more information for us. It's, it's the poetry. So with all that we've just thought about in this little section, I'm just going to read it again, but with a bit of elevation. So I'm going to read from verse 3. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? 
Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and pulled the many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you arrive. Torrents of water swept by, a deep roar lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth. In anger you fleshed the nations and came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed them into a land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though to drown the wretched remaining, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Do you get a sense of it? That is the God that Habakkuk is calling for. That is the calling that he wants. Another Exodus work again. That is the God whom regimes fear, and whose word they have to banish from their lands, lest it topple their ideology. That is the God Habakkuk is asking to come and bring justice. And it will happen. It will happen. We said last week that Babylon has not really gone away, and so we call out, don't we? We call out, and he will come back. We've just finished studying Revelation earlier in the year, in the evenings, and we've known that Jesus has said, yes, he will come back. He will come back. This Lord is coming. And it might seem far off, but we've actually had a trailer of it already. Because we have seen and we have known God's glory. That is what Habakkuk wants. He wants God's glory to be known. Make it known in our time. And we have seen a sneak preview at the cross. Because after that silence, in Habakkuk 2 and in Romans 2, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans talks about a righteousness revealed apart from the law. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about a righteousness that can come about because we don't get over the justice or around the justice, but through it, it still comes, but at Christ on the cross, it comes on him. On his anointed one at the cross. And yet in the resurrection, his anointed one is rescued through that wrath, that cup of wrath that he took for us, the anointed one is rescued. And so all of, all of us in him are together rescued with him. So Habakkuk is reliving a fearsome rescue. Secondly, reliving that fearsome rescue fuels a living joy. That's how we can get back down to verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, there are no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. That's how he gets there. Do you find it hard to find joy in a situation? Because we're looking in the wrong place. You don't find joy in the situation and in the circumstances. The joy is in the Lord. The writer G.K. Chesterton reminded God's people 
that joy, he says, which was uh, of small publicity to the pagans, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. <clears throat> Isn't that a great idea? Joy is our gigantic secret. How do you do this, Habakkuk? How are you at rest when the whole world around you is, is caving in, when righteousness doesn't go forth? Because his joy is not in the situation, it's rooted in this God. And so that's how that reliving that fearsome rescue is fueling this living joy. Because Habakkuk is reliving or rehearsing the work of the past. So can you see the connection between now and the present, the past, and the future? It goes something like this. In the present, now, we look back and rehearse and relive the work of God in the past, which secures the future. And that brings us joy in the present. So here is Habakkuk looking back to the Exodus and thinking, God will come again. That is what he's like. He is a God of justice. That's what will happen in the future. And it brings him joy. For us, we have seen this second Exodus work at the cross. And so we look back at God's fearsome work of rescue at the cross and what it secures in the future. Our salvation is done. He's just got to come back and get us. And that brings us the joy in the present. I was trying to think of how we might um, understand this. Now, if you've ever been on eBay or you've got something online, you have that moment, you buy something, uh, and that's happened in the past. I bought it, it's mine. You go back to your email and check, and you can look at the picture, and maybe you start tracking the delivery. Now, you know that's coming. In the future, it's coming to you. So it's going to be delivered on such and such a date. So you've paid for it, the work is done. You haven't got the joy of it actually with you, but as you track the delivery, there's that little bit of, you know, you find some joy. Because what's certain in the past, securing the future, is coming. Or maybe it's the child who's discovered his Christmas present hidden under mum and dad's bed. Right, good, they bought it, it's done. I can't open it yet until Christmas Day. But I can still have some joy in the present. So Habakkuk reliving the fearsome rescue is fueling a living joy. And that's why Habakkuk emphasised rejoicing in the Lord, not in his situation. So verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He's lifted that actually from Psalm 17, the song of David, which is repeated again in 2 Samuel as a kind of epilogue, if David could summarise all the stuff that God has done for him in his up and down life, it's this, he'll rejoice in God, his Saviour. And so God's wrath is being revealed to an extent now, but it's not final, and within it, mercy does abound. God is saving people. And God is saving people most powerfully right now in those very places that we would not dare to tread. The war-torn countries. The countries in the grip of regimes. God is at work, again, revealing his mercy. So a few reflections as we just wrap up the book of Habakkuk. I wonder if Tracking back to chapter 1 and Habakkuk's honesty, 
Perhaps our unwillingness to work through doubt, might that lead to a lack of joy? Do you see how Habakkuk works through his doubt? He's brought it to God, he's waited patiently, he's got an answer, he's found joy in God. That's only happened because he's worked it through before God and with God. Perhaps unwillingness to work through doubt might lead to a lack of joy. Secondly, reflecting on God's past action should feed our faith, shouldn't it? Reflect on God's past action in your life as goodness. Come back to the Gospels, reflect on God's past action of that fearsome second exodus work at the cross. And thirdly, active trust brings worship. Here is Habakkuk stepping out in faith and worshipping God. And that worshipping brings him a, a deeper knowing. So there's the question for us. When those times come in, those times of injustice or persecution, and we feel that righteousness is not going forth, are we ready? Are we ready? We might not know what God is doing, but are we finding our joy in him? God's, God has an answer. And it's a good one. God's answer is not, yeah, okay, have a good, there's going to be joy, but right afterwards, right after the pain, there'll be joy. It's not that. God's answer to Habakkuk is like, yeah, it's nice that you come to me with your questions, but really, my work in the world is on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. I'm not going to tell you anything. And neither is God's answer to Habakkuk, well, you've just got to grin and bear it. Now, this sounds terrible, but we don't grin and bear it, but maybe we groan and prayer it. That's awful, and the grammar is terrible. But maybe it might help us to remember we groan before the Lord and we bring it to him in prayer. And we trust that God will give us that joy in the moment. A friend passed this quote um, uh, to me this week uh, from the theologian and uh, apologist John Lennox, who spent some time... Um, in Russia uh, many years ago, and he writes this, in my visits to Russia, particularly in the years immediately after the fall of the Berlin Wall, I came across people who had suffered detention in the Soviet Gulag, the concentration camps there. The first man I met I spent, uh, several, had spent several years detained in a Siberian labour camp for the crime of teaching children from the Bible. He described to me that he had seen things that no man should ever have to see. I listened, thinking how little I really knew about life, and wondering how I would have fared under his circumstances. As if he had read my thoughts, he suddenly asked, you couldn't cope with that, could you? Embarrassed, I stumbled out something like, no, I'm sure you're right. He then grinned and said, nor could I. I was a man who fainted at the sight of his own blood, let alone of others. But what I discovered in the camp was this. God does not help us to face theoretical situations, but real ones. Like you, I couldn't imagine how one could cope in the Gulag. But once there, I found that God met me exactly as Jesus had promised his disciples when he was preparing them for victimisation and persecution. 
And so we, we might call out, mightn't we, with, with Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, how long? How long, God has said, chapter 2, verse 3, to, to, to wait patiently, and the Lord is coming. A last reminder from the book of Revelation. The Apostle John writes this, this is what he sees, it is, will happen. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe drip, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his stomach. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we look, we look to him who secured our rescue through wrath at the cross so that we can take joy in the Lord, in our salvation. Habakkuk reminded us last week, the revelation awaits the appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Let's pray together. Father, please help us to understand your work. Please help us to understand and know your mercy. Please help us to find our joy, not from our situations that change and go up and down, but in you and in the Lord Jesus, who never changes, who remains the same yesterday, today and forever. Please keep us safe in him, we pray. Amen.